0: So, brothers and sisters, I think a good way to start this morning is by looking at uh, Romans 9, 14 through 29, and thinking initially about um, how words tend to lose their meaning in our day and culture. Are you willing to think about this with me for just a bit? The, the worst example, of course, is, is the very name of God. Uh, In our OMG culture, uh, there is no meaning at all, it would seem, left to the name of God. Uh, From advertising to uh, even uh, name brands among clothing lines uh, uh, to the regular constant recital of OMG, uh, the name of God has become so cheapened uh, that we hardly even hear it anymore. But consider who God is, uh, what He is, as we say, as we know Him from Scripture, uh, revealed to us by His Word. Uh, he is the God who is holy, holy, holy. Uh, so, so say the angels in heaven as they as they worship Him, night and day. And they worship Him not because they, they choose to, in other words, not because it, it gives them some positive, meaningful experience, but because by His holiness, God draws their attention and uh, and their worship uh, to some degree, uh, to a, a greater, lesser degree, of course, but to some degree like someone standing uh, on the rim of the Grand Canyon and and saying, wow, just... Wow. So the worst case scenario of words losing their meaning is the very name of God, including as well uh the the name Lord um and uh and Jesus and Jesus Christ. Uh I will confess that uh I I do like to watch uh, uh a hard to find good movie. Um and yet, on some regular basis, I find myself hearing the name of my Lord Jesus Christ being taken in vain. And what should I do? Jesus Christ, comes the, comes the dialogue. Uh, Jesus, what's your problem? Uh, says some character in a stupid movie that I'm, I'm trying to watch for a few minutes of distraction and relaxation. And someone might say, oh, well, you know, don't, don't worry about that. Uh, it's just a movie. Uh, and, and don't we need our entertainment? Well, I, I don't know that we do. Especially when it violates the reputation of the Lord and Master that we claim to love. Think of what you would do if someone cheapened your name or the name of your spouse or your child or your, or your friend whom you love. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism uh, goes so far as to say that the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The third commandment even requires us to do all that we can to prevent the, blasph- the blasphemous use of, of God's holy name. I, I grew up, as you well know, with the Heidelberg Catechism, and I, I was always have always been haunted by... Question and answer 100. Uh, is the blasphemous use of God's name by swearing um, uh, and, and cursing, is it really such serious sin that God is angry with those who do not do all that they can to prevent it and forbid it? And the answer given is yes, indeed. No sin is greater. No sin makes God more angry then blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded the death penalty for it. End quote. Here's a point where we need to deal with the the Old Testament law, um, the Old Testament ceremonial law. Um, The law of God says that if someone violates the third commandment, are you ready for this? They must be put to death. Does anyone want to confess their sin here this morning and and um, um, confess to having taken God's name in vain? So so, what do we do? We we say, oh, but that's Old Testament stuff. You know, that's that's in the past. And granted, it is in the Old Testament, but is there no message and no lesson for us? in our own day, that that when we sin, especially when we take God's name in vain, that we deserve death. That's what the Bible says. This is why we need Christ, because who of us hasn't gotten angry and taken God's name in vain? But Christ serves as our substitute at the cross. He, He took the punishment that is due to us. If we didn't have him trusting in him, no sin would be forgiven us, and we would be worthy of death for every sin, not least of which, taking God's name in vain. But there are other words, too, that uh, that get cheapened in our hearts and in our minds by our misuse or our overuse of them. Uh, words that describe God, uh, words that serve as His attributes, words that we might use to think and speak rightly of God words like holy and uh, awesome and even glorious. Holy cow, we say. Where did that one come from? But since when is a cow holy, except maybe in Hinduism, right? Uh, And if a cow is holy, even metaphorically, what then does it mean for God to be holy? That's awesome, we say. No, it it isn't. It really isn't uh, compared to God. And the funny thing is that the word awesome gets contradicted whenever we use the word and speak it because awe really means to be speechless. To be in awe for something that is awesome is to be rendered without words. Even the word awesome itself so here is just a a sampling of of how words get cheapened in our in our day but but the word to focus on this morning is the word mercy lord have mercy someone exclaims when they get frustrated or even pleased by some experience mercy me they say just as a quick thing to say but what is mercy Even more, what is the mercy of God? That's the question this morning, and by answering it, we will come to appreciate God's salvation in Christ all the more. So the first point is justice in mercy. The Apostle Paul writes, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Remember that this expression, this answer, by no means, is a recurring phrase in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. In Romans 3, verse 3, I'll give you a little review here. In Romans 3, verse 3, Paul asks, What what if some were unfaithful, does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God by no means? Uh, In Romans 3, verse 6, he asks, is God unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? By no means. In Romans three thirty-one, he asks, uh, "Do we then overthrow the law by this faith?" By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Romans six verse two. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. In Romans 6 verse 15, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. And most recently in Romans 7, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. And again, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. So now again in Romans 9. Paul asks the question that he anticipates coming to him as an objection. Well, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. This indeed is uh, Paul's way of, of naming and answering the objections that he expects to hear to his teachings. On one hand, Paul Paul wants to preach the gospel uh, to God's glory. He he wants to preach that God is sovereign in his grace, that he is not obligated to save anyone, and yet that he does save some, not all, but some. Perhaps you recognize how controversial those words are. Not all, but some. Some. And so, as hard as it is for Paul, as hard as it is for the modern preacher, uh, we need to hear this teaching. First, that if a sinner will repent and, and believe in Christ, it will require a supernatural, even miraculous work of God to bring a sinner to faith in Jesus Christ. We saw this last time as we heard Paul referring to Isaac, the miracle baby of the miracle mother, Sarah. Sarah was barren all her life. She had no children. She never once conceived, or if she did, it always led to miscarriage. Uh, Then decades passed menopause when there was absolutely no chance whatsoever for her to conceive and have a child God gave her to conceive by way of Abraham. It wasn't yet the virgin birth of Christ, but by way of Abraham's desire for his wife, she became the mother of Isaac. It was crazy. It it made no earthly sense. It violated all natural law for Sarah to have a child and that's how Isaac got his name imagine if your name was laughter hello my name is laughter uh, people choose all kinds of strange names of course for their for their children these days but but perhaps none more strange than the name Isaac meaning laughter and uh, we might even ask uh, well was it good laughter or bad Uh, On one hand, laughter is a good thing, and it indicates happiness, joy. Uh, On the other hand, laughter can mean derision and scorn. Who wants to be laughed at? But Sarah was laughed at because when she was old enough to be a great-grandmother, and although she was not even yet a grandmother, yet she became a mother. And she did so by way of a great miracle from God. And we really need to let this sink in and, and, and to take it to heart because the Apostle Paul sees in this story of Isaac's birth a picture and a prefiguration of how God saves sinners. Unless we think it's just you know the great curmudgeon Paul. The Apostle John teaches us the same thing. and In John chapter 1, he writes of Christ that he came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But that doesn't mean that no one at all received him, just that to all who did receive him, and I'm quoting again, to all who did receive Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. So how do you gain the right to be a child of a specific parent. Well, only by being born of that parent, not by your choice. Children do not choose their parents, much to some people's dismay. Uh, to be fair, it's true that neither do parents choose their children unless the children are adopted. But parents have children Children are born, the relationship is is established, and it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the child's choice. And yet, as the child lives, as the child grows, as the child uh, enjoys uh, the relationship of having been born into a family, so the child certainly does choose each and every day to enjoy the blessings of being part of the family, of being a child of his or her parents. So, and, and so it is in salvation. Can we see that it's, it's exactly the metaphor that we need? There is a choice, and you and I must make the choice, but that choice only comes about by the work of God in Christ to take you and me for God to take you and me into His family, and and to do so by the saving work of Christ. Well, if you're not convinced, let me uh, finish what what John writes outright in uh, in John one verses twelve and thirteen. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. The teaching of God's word is that sinners are not born again as they believe, but that they are born again unto faith in Jesus Christ. As hard as that is on our pride. This is the teaching of God's Word. But the hard thing beyond our pride is this truth. Though God could save all, He doesn't. He saves some. If you are saved, then it's by faith. But a faith that God has given to you. And that he is not given, as far as you know and I know, that he is not given to many others in this world because they have not believed. Well, that's not fair, is the objection that Paul is answering here in Romans 9. How dare God be merciful to one sinner and not to another? It's the idea of, uh, of what we might call... Distributive justice. And we do see it as people deal with people in this world. I I think the best example is the experience that many of us had uh, in the elementary school classroom. I don't know if it still happens, but when I was a a student in uh, elementary school, uh, when a child had a birthday, he or she would bring a treat for the class to enjoy. And the rule was this, that uh, if you gave a treat to one classmate, you had to give the same treat to each and every classmate. Absolutely no giving of a treat to some and not to all. And whatever treat is given, it must be the same treat for all. And why? You know the answer because it prevented the uproar of some getting the treat while others did not or some getting more while others got less. And we can agree with that, right? I mean, doesn't it make sense that if you give something to one, you must give it to all in the setting of a classroom? The only problem is that it isn't true. It's not really a matter of justice. A, a gift is a gift, so so that the giver is under no obligation, whether giving to the one or, or to the many. Maybe we can think not of the treat that the child brings to share, but think instead of the birthday party, uh, to which the child only invites his or her closest friends. Uh, Is that unfair? Is that unjust uh, for party invitations to be sent only to a few students while the others are not invited? Well, (laughs) you try to keep it quiet, right? You invite those whom you want to invite, but you don't advertise it to the uninvited that they are not invited. And why? Well, because you, you don't want them at your party, but neither do you care to hurt their feelings. I think another example is, uh, is when you give to charity. How many charities are there to give to? <laughs> Hundreds, thousands even, and, and you give to only a few. Uh, uh, but can the charitable organization that you don't give to come to you and say, hey, You gave money to that other organization. It isn't fair that you don't give the same to us. That's nonsense. Charity is charity. But to bring things down to the terms that Paul is using for salvation in Christ, mercy is mercy. Is it unjust of God to be merciful to some and not to all? Nope. By no means, says Paul. And the reason is because mercy is mercy. And God even said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, it needs to be granted that when it comes to salvation... It's far more than a birthday party, is it not? It is the matter of heaven versus hell. When it comes to salvation, it's not the matter of a piece of candy or a slice of cake or a trinket toy. When God saves a sinner, he bestows uh, the gift of faith and eternal life upon that sinner, delivering that person from hell. Yet, while leaving others to suffer hell. So all analogies finally pale in the face of this teaching of God's Word that while God could save all, He doesn't. He saves some, He saves His elect. He saves those to whom He chooses to show mercy while He leaves others in their sin. It's a hard truth to be told. It's a hard lesson to learn. But what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then a second point is justice in God's being. Simply put, if there is no justice in God, then there is no justice anywhere in this world. In verse 19, Paul anticipates and, and names another objection. Well, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists, Who can resist his will? And here, I think, is, is the boldest of Paul's answers to, the, to those who object. He basically says, who are you to backtalk God? Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So, so raise whatever objection you want But you are only making yourself the standard of justice rather than God. Paul here compares the sinner to a lump of clay. And that's even worse than being called a sheep. (laughs) But it fits with what God's word teaches about sinners. that, That we are thoughtless, we are unwise, we are ignorant, we are enslaved to our unbelief. But then how is it that any are saved? Only by the sovereign grace of God, who has mercy on whom he has mercy, and who has compassion on whom he will have compassion. It goes to the very character of God, that God both saves and condemns. And he is just and holy either way. When God condemns, it's because he is just. When God has mercy and saves a sinner, it's because he is just. It's not the God that we would choose and create for ourselves, but that in itself should clue us in that the God whom we would choose would not be the one true God, the God who himself is the very standard of justice. So that in the end, objections raised, our objections in the very face of God, in the very face of justice. And we are left to realize that when God saves some and not all, then it's a demonstration of both the justice of God and also the mercy of God to those whom he saves. Paul writes, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? There are those who say, I I can't believe in a God who creates people only to condemn them. Well, granted, it's a hard thing to believe, but is that not exactly what Paul is teaching here That God has no crisis of conscience in himself as he judges sinners. God even desires to show his wrath, teaching uh, teaches Paul, and and to make known his power exactly in his judgment. He's not ashamed of his judgment. He's He's not apologetic of his justice. The angels of heaven will praise him in that final day when he carries out Uh, judgment upon this earth. In short, God's judgment for sin is not unjust. But in the day when God judges the world in justice, it will only highlight His mercy to those upon whom He has mercy. And so, a third point, a final point, as a point of application, Mercy now, as then. You are a sinner. You might take that as an insult. It it might be counted as hate speech in, in our day. But you are a sinner. And if it's any consolation, I'm a sinner too. You and I deserve justly the condemnation and the judgment of God. But God is found in Christ. And... You and I can hear the gospel and we can repent and believe in Christ. If, and if that is to happen, if you and I are to hear the gospel and to repent and believe in Christ, it will come by the mercy of God to produce within each of us such a saving faith. And why doesn't God do the same for all as he does for some? Well, Paul's answer we trust the Holy Spirit's answer is in order to make the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. It's the point of comparison. It's the point of perspective between the two. That as he shows mercy... So those who receive mercy see what mercy truly is. The striking thing is that uh, the very thing that many people object to is the very thing that God means to highlight. That he has mercy and, and and he condemns. And exactly so that those who receive mercy will know what mercy is. Exactly so that those who receive mercy in Christ will rejoice the point of comparison is intentional god saves some and not all exactly so that those whom he saves will know the height and the depth and the length of his mercy so that if anyone would say well if god will not save all then he will not save me well then that's your choice to impose your standard of justice upon the God of justice. But either way, God is not being unjust, whether He shows mercy or whether He condemns. The promise to those who are in Christ Jesus by faith is there is now no condemnation. The mercy of God is not unjust, it's just mercy. <laughs> rather than condemnation. And if you and I are to live the Christian life with joy and thankfulness, the joy and the thankfulness that God intends for us, then we must come to see this and we must know it and we must think on it every day that while others are left to go their own way in sin and into hell, God has intervened on my behalf. He has changed my heart. He has recreated me to be despite my sin, a vessel for honorable use and to be even a servant of my Lord Jesus Christ. And you can have the same confession. I mean, again, the call of Christ is clear. We'll hear it again this evening as we look uh, at at, uh, the latter part of Mark chapter one. The call of Christ is clear. I mean, it's it's clear. Come follow me. And it is clearly the case that if you would answer yes, then it must be by the mercy of God. But you can answer yes. And you can know that mercy is yours. And so do so. And know that you have been created. You have been made a vessel for honorable use. But always recognize the point of comparison, that there are others whom God does not save, and so be filled all the more with joy and with thanksgiving as you believe in Christ, that God's mercy has found you and has saved you. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is very... uh, uh, moving for us. Uh, it fills us with a wonder to uh, know that you have saved us. And indeed, if there are any who have not uh, repented and believed in Jesus Christ, by your mercy, bring them, O oh Lord, to that, to that confession. And if they would turn away, then, O oh Lord, you are just in, that, in, in your condemnation. But, O Lord, be merciful, we pray, and and save those who are hearing uh, this prayer and this message. And, O Lord, uh, display your mercy uh, to your great honor and glory. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.